0: It is fabulous to be here. Always love coming to the bridge. Thank you for having me again. And uh, uh, the privilege of being part of your journey. It truly is wonderful. And I just want to encourage the team that led us in worship this morning. Just great... Uh, songs, leading us passionately in worship and opening up our hearts to him. So thank you. I know they put a lot of work in and the team at the back serving us as well, doing great, great work. All that unseen stuff. It's it's uh, the, These guys serve in such a way that we don't tend to notice them until something goes wrong. And actually they're an incredible uh, blessing to us. And I get to travel up and down the country and I want to tell you the quality of what you've had this morning and the quality of your service, both uh in the coffee shop and in the hosting and in the guys and girls at the back is really outstanding and you must never take that for granted come on you mustn't so well done thank you well as Aaron has said it's my joy to finish off this series and uh I I was looking at the website with fear and trepidation because you had my picture and move your body underneath it um (laughs) And last summer, my youngest daughter got married, and there are videos in circulation of me moving my body, and it's not really a pretty sight at all. Um, So if you want to feel good about yourself, watch the video of me moving my body, and you'll think, my life's not so bad. Uh, It's okay, it's okay. So, of course, when we think about moving our body, we're not thinking about our. Own physical body, but we're thinking about this gorgeous picture of the Church of Jesus Christ, this gorgeous called-out community that is also referred to as the body. And it's my joy this morning uh, to sort of uh, talk about the idea of vision and how important that is in moving the body. All right, and I know you've got your uh, fantastic Vision Sunday next week, and I know Horage you're celebrating that uh, today. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow reading with me. I'm going to read from a beautiful book. It's Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and I'm going to read from chapter 2 and we're going to nudge into chapter 3 so if you've got a Bible with you on your phone your tablet or even a hard copy like mine then why don't you grab that and then while you're finding that let me give you a bit of background because we can't jump into this story without a bit of background. I'm conscious there are people in the room and online who will know the background but I'm also conscious there may be visitors and guests new Christians in this room that have no clue who even Nehemiah uh, is. So the back Background is really crucial. We're going to pick up the story back in Jerusalem, but we've got to go 70 years back in history before that to realize that this is a really big moment. In fact, 70 years before the Babylonian Empire. Uh, came and swallowed up catastrophically the kingdom of Judah and completely sacked and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it's a catastrophic moment, and you can read that for yourself in the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, Many, many thousands of people were carried off into captivity. Some were left behind, but the majority were taken away. But there was a promise that one day they would return. And God would rebuild. He would rebuild the temple. He would rebuild the walls. That everything would be restored. And the prophet spoke not only of God's judgment and exile. But of his generosity and faithfulness in bringing that return. And that happened 70 years later. The Babylonian Empire was swallowed up by the Persian Empire. And under the Persian Empire a return Back to Israel and Jerusalem began. In fact, it happened in about three stages uh, in the context of that story. And the book of Nehemiah is part of that return idea. Uh, And and it's a a book about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem uh, and how there is a restoration back to what had been stolen and taken away. So that's the big picture background and we're going to jump in where Nehemiah has left Persia he was a cupbearer to the king of persia so he held a pretty influential and important position he's been given the go ahead by the king of persia to return he's also been given a whole bunch of resource to help him in that process and now where we pick it up is that nehemiah has is doing a little bit of a reconnaissance around the city of jerusalem and he's about to encourage people to grab onto the vision of rebuilding this incredible city and move forward is that okay so that'll help you with a little bit of the background if you're not sure of that so here we go Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11 and this is Nehemiah speaking and he says this I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days I set out during the night with a few others I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on By night I went out through the valley gate towards the Jekyll well and the Dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had not said I'd said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials of any or any other uh, any of the others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, "You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace." I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. That's the king of Persia. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalant the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And normally we stop there, but we're going to move into chapter three. So chapter three, verse one says this. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiah. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakor, son of Emery, built next To them, And if you keep reading chapter 3, it sort of goes on like that. It tells you who's building what were and who they're building next to. And the reason I'm not going to read that whole chapter is because some of the words are unpronounceable. So I'm not going to do it. You can read that for yourself a little bit later on. The book of Nehemiah is pretty amazing because just at a sort of logistics point of view, Nehemiah pulls off something really colossal. Walls that have been broken down for 70 years, so like two, maybe, depending on how you count, three generations of people, these walls have been broken down, get rebuilt in 52 days. Oh wait, you need to say something, come on, you need to go, come on, give Nehemiah some sort of nod of approval that you're not in a coma. All right, come on, Uh, this is an amazing achievement, 52 days to rebuild walls that had been broken down for 70 years. And when I read something like that, I'm going, wow, like how did he do that? I know how hard it is to lead anything. I know how hard it is to build anything. I know how hard it is to achieve anything, either as a family or a community or a project. And to pull off something like this in the context that they're in, absolutely amazing. Now, now here's the thing. Most of us as followers of Jesus, when we read the book of Nehemiah, we read it on its own. But if you were to read this in the Hebrew Bible, Um, the Hebrew Bible has the book of Ezra and Nehemiah together. And that's a real clue for us. And I I just want to throw this at you. For some of you who love uh, sort of following important theological trails, this is really, really important. If you read Nehemiah on its own, it becomes a story about a wall. But if you read Nehemiah with Ezra first, it becomes about the restoration of a complete identity in people. So if you read, for example, Ezra, that's where the return really begins. And in fact, over the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three big leaders who influence the restoration process. You've got a man called Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. It's a cool name, right? Zerubbabel. Okay. And so you've got Zerubbabel. He leads the first return and he's responsible for energizing the rebuilding of the temple. So the temple that had been destroyed, which symbolized the presence of God, gets rebuilt. Zerubbabel's your man there, and you can read that roughly the first six chapters of Ezra. And then Ezra comes along, now he's a priest and teacher, and he restores the Torah. He restores the word of God. So you've got the temple restored under Zerubbabel, that's worship, then you get The Torah restored unto Ezra, that's the word, and then Nehemiah comes along. And Nehemiah builds the walls. Now there's an important principle here, some of you have got this already, you can see where I am going, that actually if we want to build some dynamic walls, we must make sure that our walls are being built on the foundation of worship and word. That's why it's important to read Ezra and Nehemiah together. If you read Nehemiah, it's reduced to, forgive me, and Nehemiah, please don't beat me up when when you see me in heaven. But we reduce Nehemiah to sort of an organizational strategic book. It becomes about, okay, here's how to build a wall and here's how to pull people together. But we mustn't forget that the walls are the third part of a dynamic restoration process. That you've got worship under Zerubbabel, the temple. You've got word under Ezra, the Torah. And then you've got walls under Nehemiah. And so you get a complete restoration process. So the vision here of Nehemiah isn't just for walls. The vision is for the dynamic empowerment of his people. Are you with me? This isn't just about a wall. This is about something much, much, much bigger. Than the wall. Does that make sense to you? And so when we jump into Nehemiah, we're jumping into the wall bit, but a lot has already happened. A lot has already been restored and a lot has already been built. Now, Nehemiah's bit of the vision is that he has seen. Uh, Even in Persia, he's seen through vision, as it were, through reports that the walls are broken down and the gates have been burnt with fire. So his passion, his big bit of the story, he wants to make sure that these walls are rebuilt, that Jerusalem is secure, and that the purposes of God can be accomplished. Uh, And of course, we've read in Nehemiah chapter 2, how he does a bit of a recce, he makes a call to the leaders, will you join me? And they say, we will join you in rebuilding Our walls, and then we immediately go into chapter three. Now, now chapter three is really interesting because Nehemiah. I don't know if you noticed in our reading, he's a detailed person. Did you notice that he talks about even when he's going around Jerusalem, he talks about I only had one horse with me, and then at a certain part of the city, my horse couldn't get through the gap, so I went on. Who needs to know that detail? Just tell us that you went round the wall. But that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a precise man. He's a detailed man. And when you go into chapter three, it is full of really exciting detail if you're a Bible nerd like me. All right. Most people will just look at chapter three and think it's a list of names. But Nehemiah is doing something amazing in chapter three, and that he's teaching something else about the power of vision. Now, I really want to encourage you at some point today or at some point this week, if you've got 15 minutes, read chapter three all the way through and you'll sort of get what I am saying. But I'm going to summarize some of the big ideas that I've seen in Nehemiah chapter three in that he brings a dynamic vision. The vision is simple. That's rebuild the wall. That's really simple. You don't, we don't need to think about that too hard. It's a really simple, well-communicated vision. But Nehemiah chapter three shows us some of the dynamic principles at play in the outworking of that vision. And I think that's relevant to the bridge. I think that's relevant to the 21st century and I think it can help and encourage us as we're thinking about vision, moving our body and our vision presentation and celebration next week. Is that okay? Are you okay so far? Sorry, I had to do all of that or else it's sort of some, of, some of the stuff I'm going to say won't make sense. It'll just feel like like a bit of a vacuum unless we understand those little connecting ideas. So here's the first principle that from chapter 3 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah teaches us. He teaches us this. It's not about how many, it's about how well. Okay. Now, Nehemiah is a detailed person and he's really helpful in that if you read on into the book of Nehemiah, he actually literally tells us how many people returned to Jerusalem with him. All right. So there's this sense it he does a bit of a census for us and helps us. And he tells us in chapter 7, 49,942 people returned. That's how you know Nehemiah wasn't an evangelist. All right, he, he, just, he, he literally tells you what the number was. He doesn't say, oh, somewhere around about 50,000. No, no. He tells you 49,942. Now, I like that because for me, because I'm a bit of a detailed person, when I read 49,942, I'm trusting this man. This is not a man motivated by ego. This is a man motivated by the facts. So he says 49,942. In fact, he even tells us how many animals returned. Who does that, right? 8,136. Come on. Gotta love Nehemiah, right? So when you jump into chapter 3 if you have read the book and then you come back to chapter 3, you'll notice something, that 49,942 people return, but in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there's not 49,000 on the wall. Are you with me? In fact, that's us do the numbers, let's go through it. If you go through it, In chapter 3, and you can check this for yourself, there are 37 individuals mentioned. 37 by name. And then he talks about 12 groups of people. So people who have come in to help from Mizpah or Gideon or Zanoah. So in other words, he's, he's trying to show that there's a representation of people that are helping. One of the cool things that Nehemiah does is that he joins the chapter together with lots of brilliant connecting words. So for example, if you read it in the English version of my Bible, the NIV Bible, phrases like after or beyond him or after or beyond them, are used 15 times. You'll see phrases like, in the NIV version of the Bible, next to him or next to them mentioned 15 times, all right? It's a cool little exercise if you're a Bible nerd like me, if you read through it and you just underline every time you see after him, beside him, next to him, next to them, just underline that. It's just, it's an amazing pattern. And Nehemiah is doing that deliberately because he's showing us two things there in chapter three. Number one, you have to look for it, it's hidden in plain sight. He's actually saying, not everybody built the wall. And secondly, he's saying, but those who did build the wall really connected to the idea. They did shoulder to shoulder, next to each other. And Nehemiah paints this amazing picture of synergy. Synergy that's going on here he's not so bothered about how many people are building he's more bothered about how they're building because if the people on the wall however many there were we're not exactly sure of the number but we know it wasn't 50,000 right if the people on the wall are really getting the vision of building the wall and why it's important. And if they're really connecting together, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, next to, beside him, beyond him, if they're really connecting together, he knows that something can happen in in a dynamic power of synergy that can transform a situation of brokenness that has existed for almost three generations and turn that round in a month and a half. That's the power of synergy. And the power of synergy, ladies and gentlemen, is not a secular idea. It is a creational idea. God designed humans to be people that if they work together as one, they will experience a synergy of their energies greater than the sum total of their parts. And in fact, the first act of creation where we see a synergistic principle is in the creation of humans. God says, let us make the humans in our image. And, that, and we believe that let us there is God uh, and God manifests in three persons. So when God works together in synergy, humanity gets made. Wow. And so we get this incredible principle and humans are made in the image of God, which means Even if humans work together as one, they can achieve something of the synergy idea that God has put within them at creation. And even non-Christians understand this idea. Businesses understand this idea. Sports clubs understand this idea. Right? So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can enjoy the power of synergy. Because the power synergy is not a spiritual principle that only people who love God get. It's a creational principle that anybody can get, even if you're a non-Christian. So if you're running a business, synergy is crucial. If you're wanting to build community, synergy is crucial. If we're wanting to build some walls for the bridge, whatever walls mean for us, synergy is crucial. It's not about how many people are building. Now we get obsessed about numbers. And we want everybody, when I, when I first started in ministry, I wanted everybody on the wall, everybody doing everything. And actually I soon realized that it was just impossible to get everybody on. And the Holy Spirit had to help me sort of to not knock myself out trying to get everybody to do it, but rather focus on those who want to do it and build them together into a unit and then we'll get on and do something even if others don't want to do it with us. Are you with me? Uh, A few years ago, I think it was um, Christmas, the end of Christmas week 2018 and the beginning of January 2019. Don and I were living in Gloucester and some of you might remember we had a pretty bad snow dump over that period. Now, uh, normally that's wonderful if you're on holiday uh, and you just enjoy the postcard snow outside your window. But in Gloucester where we live, we lived in a cul-de-sac on a hill. So if you can imagine our cul-de-sac is a sort of a cross-shaped cul-de-sac. So the road takes you up to the top and then it was like a cross of houses at the top, some to the left, some to the right. And we're at the top of a really steep hill. The views were amazing from the house, which was fantastic. We lived there for two years and loved it. Absolutely beautiful. Um, but, but it was a steep hill. And we had this amazing snow dot I mean, serious Amount of snow fell. Now, now, lovely to look at, but of course you're suddenly thinking, how are we going to get out? How are we how are we going to get get sort of to do stuff? And so Don and I decided, well, let's let's get our let's get our shovels out. And we'll we'll start doing uh, some work. And as we walked out our door, no no word of exaggeration, John, a retired vicar, and his wife also were walking out their door, thinking of the same idea. And I'm thinking, oh, this will be great in no time at all. The neighbourhood will join us, and we'll have like a street party of shoveling snow, and it'll be, like, it'll be like a scene of an American Christmas movie that we'll all enjoy, and have cups of hot chocolate afterwards with marshmallows. It will be tremendous. Uh, none of that happened, of course. I'd love to say that when Don and I and John and his wife walked out, that somehow it stimulated the whole community to go, wow, look at those lovely people shoveling snow. Let's get on the wall and help them. In fact, no one came, just us. And, 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 and I got a bit annoyed to begin with. I was a bit irritated why nobody else was coming out. Uh, and... and And here's what I discovered. My annoyance at people not coming out distracted me from doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I had to get to the stage where forget them. Leave it alone. All right, If they want to stay in the house drinking hot chocolate, watching American Christmas movies, that's absolutely fine. Let's get the snow cleared up. And uh, do you know something amazing happened? Four people started working as one. I mean, it helped that the four of us sort of had some, some leadership passion about us and we got into this little system uh, and we started working together. And suddenly what looked like, this is going to take us like three weeks to clear, we managed to clear all the snow, for enough for a car to get down on, on, on the sort of top end of the cul-de-sac and enough snow all the way down to the bend. It took us about five hours now, I'd love to tell you that at the end of the five hours, the community came out and went, come on, bless you. Here, have, hot so, have some hot chocolate on us. No, not a single resident thanked us. Um, that my, my neighbors either side, I probably shouldn't say this, but my neighbors either side in Gloucester were quite possibly the most miserable people I've ever known in my entire life. They're certainly the most miserable neighbors I've ever had. And I mean that genuinely. I'm not, that's not for a sermon illustration. That's really true. And we worked really hard to try and get them out of their misery, but they were not budging. They wanted to stay in their misery. Not even my miserable next door neighbors came and said, hey, thanks very much so we can get our car out. Nobody thanked us. But actually that wasn't the point. The point was that actually we wanted to do it. And I learned something that day with a very few amount of people. You can do a lot if you're agreed And sometimes what happens in church, we get annoyed at the people not building. And actually, uh, when I say forget them, I don't mean forget them in a pastoral sense or forget them in a loving sense. But what I mean is, sometimes you just got to recognize some people don't want to build. So just get on and keep doing it. And actually, I, I, I want to encourage you from Nehemiah. Nehemiah teaches us it's not about how many. Had Nehemiah focused on the people not building the wall, the wall wouldn't have got built. Come on. Yeah. Nehemiah focused on the people who showed up. Okay, Eliashib. Right, you and your boys over there. <laughs> and, and he got on with it and didn't worry too much about who wasn't there. And I love this idea. Five of you will chase 100, Leviticus says, but a 100 of you will chase 10,000. Yeah. That's synergy. That's not magic. That's not apple that's not the secular business. That's Bible. Five agreed people can chase 100. An amazing idea. It's a, it's a, a, a sort of a, a, a ratio of one to 20. And then he goes on to say uh, that 100 of you will chase 10,000. That's a ratio of one to 100. It's amazing. That's a synergistic principle. That's a creational idea. Now listen, Bridge. It's brilliant if every single person in bridge wants to join and get on the wall, but actually to build something dynamic, it's not absolutely essential. What's essential is that those who do get on the wall connect and really want to do it. Are you with me? Now, I want to encourage you all to get on the wall and help build this great vision because it's an amazing vision and do something. But if you really, really didn't want to, actually, what's really important is that those who do want to connect, engage, and synergize. And something amazing can happen. Does that make sense to you? All right. Here's the second principle that he gives us, and it's this it's not just for us, it's for others. He does this amazing little thing where he shows us where people are from. Now, remember, they're building the wall of Jerusalem, right? But yet, if you read Nehemiah chapter 3, he talks about people helping to build from Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon, and Mizpah. And what you discover in chapter 7 of Nehemiah is that no houses have yet been built within the, the boundary wall of Jerusalem. So in other words, if you're building and you've come to do your building shift um, uh, and then you've finished your building shift uh, and you want to sleep, you've either got to then sleep outside or you've got to go home, right? So, so he shows us that there's a whole bunch of people building on the wall that aren't from Jerusalem. Well, so what? Well, well, that's a big idea. Because it means the men and the women of Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon and Mizpah are not building something strictly for themselves. Now, they will benefit if they have a capital city that is secure, then all of those people are going to benefit. But strictly speaking, the value of your house in Jericho is not going to go up because the wall of Jerusalem got built. Are you with me? In other words, they're building something for others. It's a big idea when it comes to vision. And it's one of the great challenges for the 21st century in our own spirituality. If we're not careful, we reduce our relationship to God down to what God's doing for me. Now, does the Lord want to do stuff for you as an individual? Yes, yes, yes. We believe that. This church believes that. But when it comes to building something As a community, we cannot remain there. If bridge becomes about you, please forgive me, don't be upset at me. I love you and and, and I think you love me, but if bridge becomes about you, you come here as a consumer. What can I get today? Now, is it wrong to get something? Of course not. Is it, we want you to be blessed. So do not hear what I'm not saying. But if I, as a member of the bridge, only think of the bridge as servicing my spirituality, then I'm a consumer. And ladies and gentlemen, please don't be offended. Consumer as a full stop position is not a biblical idea. Though we're blessed, we are called to enter into a community that then becomes a blessing to others. Are you with me? So so these little details hidden in plain sight. Men of Jericho, Tekua, Gibeon. Just easy. If you were reading this over coffee tomorrow morning, it's just, just words. But actually when you slow those words down, here's what you're discovering. There's a whole bunch of people building something not strictly for themselves. They are building something for other people come on that's the kingdom of God that's the gospel that's Jesus that's everything we believe and they're building for people who can't I love what it says in the Psalms let this be written of a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord they're building something that people not yet created are going to enjoy that's what you're doing here. You're building something that people that are, that are sitting in their world and some of them not even aware that they're sitting in their world are going to enjoy because you are building something. Yeah, yeah. But they're also building for people who won't. If you read very, very carefully into the book of Nehemiah, here's the staggering idea that I've hinted at in chapter 3, which is really explicit in chapter 7, when you go to chapter 7, this is what it says. It says this, the next section was repaired by the men of Decoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work whilst under their supervisors. So that's verse 5 of chapter 3. So you're, you're getting a sense that the nobles are not building so so they're saying it's all right for our for our common people to go and build the wall but we're not going to go and build the wall and that's definitely there in chapter 3 of Nehemiah when you by the time you get to chapter 7 it's even more dramatic because here's what you discover that actually Nehemiah after building the wall then wants to take some offerings and he says to the, to the people of Israel, he says, come on, let's rally round. Let's raise some funds so that we c- can do something absolutely amazing. Here's what chapter seven says. It says, some of the heads of the families contributed. Right? So, double hit here. In chapter three, while they're building the wall, some of the nobles go, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting my hands dirty. I'm not. I'm, but they keep building. Why? Because Nehemiah, is building for others. For others who can't, that's okay, that's fair enough. But even incredibly generously for others who won't. Love that. Now, that's really strongly implied in chapter 3. Chapter 7, after they've built the wall, the jolly thing's finished. And he says, let's have an offering. Some of the heads of the family still won't give their money. What are you going to do? It's not like the man's asking for money to build it. He's asking now for money to invest into the future. And they still won't give. That's what people are like. That's what happens. Now, let me just pause here and tell you something about the offering. If you look at the offering it's taken in chapter 7. It breaks down this way. 178.5 kilos of gold were given. Again, you are a hard crowd to impress. That's, that's pretty pretty good. And 2.3 metric tons of silver. Now, last night, being the sort of nerdy person that I am, I checked the gold and silver standard. Okay, so these figures are up to date. The current gold prices for a kilo of gold, it's 51,000 pounds, roughly. But yeah, 51 grand for a kilo of gold. So you've got some gold, now's a good time. So that means 178.5 kilos of gold and today's value is 9.1 million pounds. You impressed? You should be, come on. Silver is 578 pounds a kilo. So 2.3 metric tons is roughly 1.3 million pounds in today's value. Now again, today's value, so hear me. That means that people gave a total of 10.4 million pounds worth of stuff. That's pretty amazing. The second amazing thing is not everybody gave. Come on now. Come on now. Nehemiah so generated something in the people on the wall. That when it came to giving, they were ready to go. Even if there's a whole bunch of people going, oh, you're not having my money, I'm not going to give anything. And this is not me trying to warm you up for next week's offering or anything. This is this is just Nehemiah talking. Listen, you take it or leave it. You pay your money, you take your choice, you do what you want. But nothing gets built without cost. Like that world doesn't exist. And even in the spiritual world, nothing gets built unless there's a bit of Bit of sacrifice, bit of investment, bit of input, bit of cost, sometimes significant sacrifice. Nothing gets built. Now it's up to you whether you put money into the offering or not. It's up to you whether you pick up a brick or not. It's up to you what you do or not. That's up to you. I'm not going to judge you and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just telling you from the Bible that Nehemiah managed to pull off something amazing in 52 days. Not because everybody built, but because people who did build, built together And they raised an offering of £10.4 million, not because everybody gave, but because those who did give got it. Still love me? All right, here we go. Let's close it down. Last idea, and I'm finished. The third principle is not only for today, but for tomorrow. Great vision is never just about now. if your vision for your life is about now, it's too small. Without, now you can come up and get in my face afterwards if you want, but I'm telling you, I, I, without any fear of contradiction, if your vision is for you is only about right now, it is much too small. If our vision f- for the bridge is just about surviving today, now surviving's good. We want to survive, but if it's just about surviving today, it is too small. And Nehemiah understood something amazing. He understood something historically and he understood something prophetically. Now watch this. He understood how important Jerusalem was historically. The whole world's still looking at Jerusalem, right? Little city. I've had the privilege of being in Jerusalem three times. An amazing city. It's worth a weekend break just going to Jerusalem. An incredible place. Incredible place. Nehemiah understood even in the comfort of Persia where he had already developed a life in exile, a successful life, he realized Jerusalem was so important historically and he realized Jerusalem would be historic prophetically. And Nehemiah is prepared to put himself on the line To build something today that will contribute prophetically to the story of Jerusalem. Just a thought for you. The Jesus that rides into Jerusalem on a donkey saw the walls that Nehemiah built. Come on. Come on. That actually Nehemiah was investing into the future. And ladies and gentlemen, sometimes when we're in the midst of our own lives, our own difficulty, our own challenges, and I get it mortgages and rent and jobs and health I I, look I totally get it I am not minimizing where anybody in this room is at and and this church doesn't minimize that we want to minister to people right in the midst of their own difficulties and pain and bless people and help people but if we're going to be a community that represents the kingdom of God then we're not just thinking about today now we want today to be good, but we're not just thinking, we're not building our lives on how good or how bad today is. We're building our lives on a long-term strategy, <laughs> ultimately an eternal strategy, but, but actually even in the context of building a community, nothing great happens in two minutes. It's not in the Bible, but you'll know the phrase, Rome wasn't built in a day. Great things aren't built in just a moment. They're built over a season of time. But we're building for the future. And some of us sitting in this room will not see the ultimate fulfillment of some of the vision it's going to be presented to us. Literally, we won't see it. We'll be in heaven. But if you contribute today, you're saying, I see it. I see it. I'll build today because tomorrow someone will enjoy it. A few years ago, I was ministering in Slovakia. And uh, right in the middle of that country, former Soviet country under Soviet uh, rule, and it had been liberated, all part of that amazing revolution. We were in their training leaders and I was, uh, I had a break between my sessions and I walked around a little village. We were in the middle of nowhere in the middle of Slovakia. Now, Slovakia is bang center in Central Europe, okay? So, so it, it sort of put that somewhere for your part of what was called Czechoslovakia, which uh, was all part of that story. And I'm walking around this village, looking at all these beautiful houses, beautiful like bungalows, absolutely gorgeous houses. And I'm walking down the street, and I saw this house, beautiful house, caught my eye. It was so pretty, and sort of house is. Oh, I'd like a house like that. Absolutely lovely, big garden, beautiful grounds, lovely design. And I noticed on the front of it, um, the date the house was built. The house was built in 1942. Then you go, and. Well, in 1942, the world, and Europe in particular, was in the grip of one of the most catastrophic global conflicts the world has ever seen. Over 100 million humans died as a direct result of conflict in the Second World War. Yesterday was Holocaust Day. Yom Hashua. I lit a little candle, put it in my window to remember that the the Nazis exterminated not just six and a half million Jews and a million and a half children within that six and a half million, but 11 million humans went up in flames under Nazi concentration camps. And somebody built a house. Come on. Come on. Somebody in 1942 said, one day this will be over. One day the war will stop. One day people will see sense. One day we'll be liberated. One day it'll get better. So here's what we'll do. We'll not wait till that one day. We'll build now. Bombs are falling. People are dying. Families are being exterminated. People are being turned to dust. And somebody built a house you know it was one of the most inspirational things i've ever seen and right there in the middle of that street in Slovakia, i said lord please help me to be a man that always builds for the future Help me to be a man that understands it's not just about what's going on today, but it's about we're building something that maybe in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, if Jesus hasn't come back, we're building something that maybe somebody somewhere in the future will go, wow. Look what they did. They believed not only in the day, but they believed in tomorrow. And because they believed in tomorrow... The walls that we are enjoying today. Because Jesus believed in tomorrow he came and died on the cross. We're part of a kingdom that not only says today you can be blessed. Today you can be whole. Today you can be free. Today you can be healed. But then it calls those people who've had a transformational today. And it says to them now come on. Get with somebody else. Get next to someone. Get on the wall. Invest yourself. Invest your wealth if you've got any. Invest your energies. Invest your dreams. Invest who you are and build something so that when you're dust, somebody will say, Thank you. Thank you for building the walls. Are you with me? Come, he says, Let us rebuild the walls. And the leader said, We will. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about how many. It's about how well. Yeah. It's not just about us, what we'll get out of it. It's about others. And it's not just about today. It's about tomorrow. Amen? Yeah. Will you stand with me? <clears throat> I don't know what the people of Horridge are hearing. I don't know what you're going to hear next week but I do know this all great vision is about challenging us beyond ourselves it's about calling greatness out of us and it's about calling us to something greater are you important? am I important? absolutely But I've discovered this brothers and sisters. If I am the center of my universe. And my universe is very, very, very small. As important as I am. As blessed as the Lord wants to make me. I'm called to something greater. And he wants to call greatness out of me. So that I I can be part of a family, a community, a nation. A vision, a dream that builds something for the glory of God. And so, as you prepare your hearts for Vision Sunday, remember these wonderful principles that Nehemiah speaks to us from thousands of years ago. Be part of something greater, be part of something bigger serve something beyond yourself so that God will do something for his glory and his honor. Lord, may in all that we are and all that we do and all that you've called us to, may our eyes be fixed on you. May our hearts be captivated by you. And may everything we are and everything we have and everything that we will be become part of a great story not just for us but for others not just for today but for tomorrow Lord will you build something in us and will you build something through us so that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in Jesus name Amen